You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We are barreling down week two, heading for a matchup USC-Stanford. It's always interesting when the Cardinals come to the Coliseum and vice versa, to be honest. Uh, So we have a fun show for you. We're going to break that down, talk about USC and Fresno State. What are the takeaways from that game? Uh, As a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Not only do we have a lot of questions this week, people actually gave us submissions for our stock up, stock down, all that good stuff. So thank you you guys for your participation we love it you know i forget to remind everyone but you can call us and leave us a voicemail 424-254-9141 you can call into the feud give your takes your opinions but enough of that let's get into the podcast stock up first shotgun who you got i mean i think you obviously got to start with steven carr i mean he was fantastic seeing him back in what looks like his true form you know seeing him make guys miss all the time it felt like Every play, he was making at least one, if not two, if not three guys miss. I mean, there was one swing pass out to him. There's two guys waiting on him. At, you know, In front of the sticks, he makes one guy miss, leaves him sitting on the ground, and then he barrels through the other guy to get to the sticks. I mean, he had a fantastic game getting two touchdowns. He had 99 total yards. I was hoping, you know, I had a tweet pulled up and, you know, ready to send in the middle of the, the fourth quarter, and they never gave him another touch to, so he could get over 100 yards there. So I was kind of disappointed by that. But, you know, he ends up with 99 uh, total yards in the game. He's, he only had six carries, but he had six receptions as well. He did it on both sides. You know, he can be a, a great option as a check down he can do anything you want him to he made a couple nice catches on check downs you know those kind of get overlooked in the highlights but he did a great job of contorting his body to make make sure he caught the ball and then once he starts getting upfield he can do some things that that defenders don't want to see on a highlight tape no without a doubt I had the running backs uh, as a whole on stock up maybe not for Marquis step for, for the two Vivai Malpea and Steven Carr the burst is back for Steven Carr are we safe to say that I'm not sure I think so I think so too uh, Vivai Malpea was the leading rusher with 134 yards on 23 carries and a touchdown that guy had so much hustle I when I was editing the the clips every time the ball touched the ground he'd get up and then run to the, the line of scrimmage he was just ready just going going all game long Mike Jinks said you want to ride the hot hand and Vi was definitely hot on Saturday night yeah those two guys combined ran for 190 yards you know they had over 50 yards receiving combined as well so if you're getting in nearly 250 yards from two running backs you know I think that that's a great output to have you, you saw the interesting thing to watch with those two guys and also Marquis Step. He'll get some into the rotation here. It, hopefully, eventually, we'll see him. I just don't think there was opportunities for, get, for him to get in. I, wouldn't, I didn't really understand why people were so upset that he didn't get in. Besides, I know why they were clamoring for him because they got stopped on third and one. They got stopped on fourth and one. But you're not going to go to you know, uh, basically what is a first-year guy you know, for a carry that late in the game at that point. You're not going to give him his first carry at that time. So I understood why they stuck with, stuck with Vi and Stephen Carr. I think that those two guys carried the load. Now what's interesting is how does the rotation change? Does it become 50-50? Does it stay, you know, it was basically 66 to 33. You know, it's two-thirds to one-third as far as touches and pretty much the same as far as uh, plays for each of those guys uh, with Vi getting the lion's share and then Stephen Carr getting touches as well when he came in. It was, it was kind of a 60-40 I think as far as participation as far as snaps but you know two-thirds to one-third that's where it was around how does that change does it stay the same do we see some morphing there will it 
it change on opponent? You know, will it be based on on who they play? You know, will you see Vi in some more physical games where Stephen Carr? Maybe you see him in some more spread uh, spread defenses and things. That'll be interesting to me. I think that the running backs, like you said, were, were fantastic and they carried the load, especially in that second half. Yeah, I'm curious if, say, Vi or Stephen Carr can't have the night that they're having if they get off to a slow start. Do we see Marquis Step come in maybe earlier? And, you know, I think adding Marquis Step in Saturday night's game kind of probably would have been something we saw last year in a gumbo offense where if you're riding the hot hand and then sometimes USC fans are like, why are they taking out this guy and putting in this guy? So I think it's kind of the grass is greener on the other side, but I, I understood riding the hot hand. Yeah, and those guys were great in the second half. Like I said, a guy who wasn't great in the second half but was on my stock up is Drew Richmond because he didn't play in the second half. Obviously, you talked to him this week. He said he was dehydrated, so he actually did not participate in the second half. He came back you know, after halftime. You saw him come in, what, five or six minutes uh, after the half and come out. His arm was wrapped up and, you know, his elbow. So I had thought I was like, it's a light wrap around his elbow. And then in hindsight, of course, it makes sense. He got an IV at the half. Uh, But he said he's someone who grew up in Memphis, Tennessee player, but got dehydrated. Some people were a little skeptical about that. Just the messenger. That's what he told me on Tuesday. But I thought Drew Richmond played pretty well in the first half. You know, I've been kind of down on where he was at as far as a grad transfer coming in, coming into this game. I didn't know if he was going to be able to, you know, kind of dominate at times. And I thought he did really well in that. That, that side, he wasn't rotating. It was Andrew Voorhees and Jalen McKenzie beside him that were actually doing the rotating. So that tells me his stock has risen with the offensive line coaches and with Clay Helton that he's the one that's getting all those reps. We'll see if it changes against Stanford. It's going to be a big test. And this is his first opportunity to really showcase himself as offensive lineman going into a quote-unquote physical team like Stanford that people think are the most similar to an SEC team well here's your opportunity Drew Richmond this is what you know you've been going through the last few years at Tennessee now's your chance to show what you can do so I'm looking to see what he does this weekend as well in the same vein I know you don't necessarily agree with me I actually put the offensive line on stock up and now to be fair I'm not sure if that's because the bar was very low for me coming into this game but I thought at least for the first half maybe first quarter especially they played well I thought the communication looked better not necessarily on that JT Daniels play unfortunately uh, but I thought Brett Nealon upgraded center uh, didn't see a too bad of a snap but not anything like we saw in 2018 so to me I thought they played better now granted sometimes that was just against uh, Fresno State bringing three and of course you're going to pick up three when you're have five protecting the quarterback but I don't know I don't know if this is me just trying to be optimistic but I thought the st- the offensive line at least played well enough for me to put them on stock up there were some positive signs there I'll give you that there were a couple bobble snaps those were not on Brett Nealon though those were the quarterbacks you know trying to make reads before they had caught the ball I thought the offensive line played sufficient to well. I wouldn't. I don't think I, that they're good enough to go into the stock up yet because I want to see them against Stanford and see the physicality there. Good point. Good point. But I, I think that they were also helped out a lot by the work of Carr and Malapai. You know, I, I thought that those guys broke a lot of tackles. I think that they did a great job of, of running after contact, getting through contact, and, and picking up extra yards. That really helped the offensive line to make their stats at least look a little bit better. I thought, like I said, I thought that they were there were some positive signs there, but. I want to see it again. I want to see a little consistency from that group, which is that's been a big issue for them. I don't know, five, six years now. I know. I feel like I might regret putting the offensive line on stock up this early in the season. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So I don't know. I'm I'm gonna be 
optimistic. We'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I had, on stock up, I had Drake London. Yeah, the, the true freshman gets his first start in the game. You know, they go four wides the very first play. They only did it one more time in the game that I noticed. So, you know, kind of an interesting thing that they, that they showcased that on the first play. But that he was the guy that was in there. You know, that's a spot where Valus Jones is listed as a starter. Drake London's actually listed behind Amon Ross St. Brown, and that's who he subbed in for a few plays. I think he played five snaps in the entire game, so it's not like he played it a lot, but I think the fact that he's the one that's won that job, you know, rotating in there, and the fact that he started over Valus Jones, I think that's something to keep an eye on, and we'll see where the basketball-slash-football player goes from here. You know, it was a big day for the basketball team. They had, you know, some big official visitors at the game and you know they were all there and they were there to see drake as well they wanted to see what their young freshman if he because there's a concern that if he plays too well in the football that you know maybe he doesn't make it over to the basketball court as quickly as he as he could if, if he's you know stuck at the bottom of the depth chart so they the basketball coaches i'm sure are keeping an eye on that one as well interesting for sure keeping with the drake theme i had the young gun drake jackson on stock up three tackles, two pass breakups, and the finger wag. Some swag for the freshman telling Jorge Reyna, nah, uh, uh, I'm going to break that up. Uh, he had- Don't you now have to have some swag if your name is Drake? I guess so. Is that a requirement? I think so. I mean, okay. I mean if, if someone goes from their name being Aubrey to Drake and now they're, they're at the top of the game and your name is Drake, I think you have to you know, you have to have a little swagger there. I dubbed thee Drake and you have swag. That's what <laughs> happened. Uh, he also had 1.5 tackles for loss, half sack. Uh, Clancy Pendergast was asked this Wednesday, what did you learn about Drake Jackson? And he said, I learned that I'm very glad that he's a USC Trojan, which I think makes sense. You know, he was a last minute, whether it's ASU, USC, he chose USC. And I think all the defensive coaches are happy about that. And that's something that, you know, they wanted to pump the brakes. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. He hasn't played a college game. And I think so far his first college game shows some promise. And he earned the start as well. You know, USC went with a true four defense alignment to start the game. They didn't do that too much, as much as, you know, maybe we were led to believe in the fall camp. Uh, you can st- check that out on, on some of the statistics that are in the, the participation charts and notes that will be out on Friday as well if you haven't checked those out yet. Uh, but I, I think that the fact that you're a true freshman and starting is always impressive. Mm-hmm. So the fact that both the Drakes are the guys that were in there, you know, they, they earn their opportunities and, and you know, they, they're trying to make the most of it. Drake Jackson has some stuff to, to work on. Obviously got in the backfield a ton. But he's got to get. He's got to be able to pull that quarterback down. He had a little bit of Christian Rector itis from 2018, where Rector was able to get a ton of pressures, but wasn't able to get the sacks. And kind of the whole defensive line had that. You know, they just struggled with getting Jorge Reina down. And give credit to Reina for for being very elusive back there. But there are several times where he was touched but not pulled down. Uh, so we'll see how, how that group progresses as well. I think it's a big we'll see period for me. Yeah. Because there were some a lot of positives from the Fresno State game, some negatives as well. I want to see how it balances out and, and whether what stays the same or what goes up in what what stock up and what stock down next week based off this Fresno State game could be a lot different. You know, w- when we see what happens against Stanford. But I got one more left, and it's kind of a accumulation uh, of guys. It's guys returning from injury. Okay. You know, we saw, you know, I talked about Stephen Carr already. He came back. He just wasn't quite the same last year when he came back from the back and ankle injuries. Now he looks like he's fresh, ready to go. You look at guys like Connor Murphy. You look at Talanoa Hufunga, Isaiah Polamau. All those guys had some impact plays in this game. So I thought the guys that were returning from injury that had some issues last year, you know, weren't able to play the full season. Greg Johnson was in there as the starting nickel back. You know, you got three DBs in there that were starters that, that didn't finish the season last year. So I thought the guys that, that had been banged up, 
were coming back. I thought that they they were in there and, and made some plays for USC. I mean, Elijah Griffin even he missed the spring with a shoulder injury. So technically, two, two shoulder injuries. Yeah. So you you got four guys in the, in the secondary that didn't practice in the spring basically and missed the end of the season for three of the four. They're like a hospital wing. Yeah, DB pretty much. Unit. <laughs> I had one more stock up, and that was for the defense creating turnovers. That's something that Clancy Pendergast really put an emphasis emphasis on over this past offseason. And you mm-hmm. saw it at least come to fruition uh, in this game. USC had three takeaways in this game alone. And last season, they had 10 on the season. So that seems like a good improvement there. And I got to talk to Pendergast about it. And when I asked him about uh, the takeaways, his eyes just lit up. And he was like, it's really great to see that come to fruition. That's something that we put so much emphasis on. Uh, so that's something where you put the effort in and you at least see it in game one. Yeah, you definitely have seen them going through the turnover circuits and stuff where they're ripping the ball out, punching the ball out. We saw actually two more plays where they were able to rip the ball out, but one, the the running back was ruled down and one forward progress was ruled. So technically they popped the ball out five times, popped the ball out or took taken away on the interception. So that's really impressive for this group, especially after, like you said, only 10 last year. That was one of the areas where they were really hurt. They couldn't help the offense out, but they, they, the offense didn't help them out so much this game, giving the ball away four times. Yeah, they lost the turnover margin lost the turnover margin even though they got three takeaways but the defense really held up there into the bargain on that as well you know they were able to to hold them to six points on those four turnovers that was that's a huge thing because there were a couple times where there were short fields there and instead you know uh, of giving up a touchdown you give up three points that becomes a huge thing at the end of the game to, to where they're driving to have to get a touchdown and a two-point conversion rather than maybe a field goal or just a touchdown by itself for sure now, we actually have listener submissions for Stock Up. Uh-oh. First up is Steve in Poway. He says, major Stock Up candidate. He said, center snaps. Brett Nealon is the man. He said, those snaps look beautiful. I think we have to agree with that. And then L.A. Fred said, Stock Up. Stephen Carve of I'm Alapai and Drake Jackson. So, L.A. Fred and I are on the same page. <laughs> Did I put my name before he submitted his, but we're on the same page there. To note on Nealon, I thought he was really good in the middle of the line as a blocker as well. I thought, you know, he, he did a great job. You know, he took fault for the JT Daniels injury uh, and, and said that, you know, on that blitz, he didn't do enough to, to identify what was happening there. So he had one bad play. Obviously, it's a it's a potential season-changing play. But I thought other than that, he was great in the game. I thought that he did a really good job, you know, making the calls, you know, because they didn't have any other free runners any other time. It se- didn't really seem like. And he, he did a great job blocking as well. He was very vocal on the line. That's something that when on the field level, you can really get a sense of how much they're communicating. And I, that was something that s- stood out to me. And just him, the leadership. We've always talked about who's going to be the leader on the line. Him just stepping up and being like, hey, I'm taking fault for our starting quarterback being out for the whole season. That takes God to step up and take the blame like that right after the game and in an interview. So props to him on that. Now, Shotgun, I didn't do this. I didn't ask for this. Hold your tongue, okay? You have asked for it. I did not ask for it. These people just. I'm pretty sure you send emails out to people like, "Can you send in this? Can you send in a stock neutral?" No, the the nation is out there, and they they came strong today. Uh, Stephen Poway says stock neutral for Keeley. JT Daniels. He looked amazing while he played, but unfortunately got hurt right before the half. Wishing JT a speedy recovery. Couldn't agree more. La Fred says stock neutral. Backup QB bowl. I tweeted out earlier. It's officially the backup bowl. Uh, KJ Costello is 
out as well as JT Daniels. So that will be something to watch for. And then the final stock neutral. It's crazy. I didn't ask for this shotgun. He said, did Tyler Vaughn's performance on Saturday finally prove to shotgun that stock neutral is a thing? That was the absolute epitome of a stock neutral game. No hashtag stock neutral nation. I couldn't agree more. Epitome of a stock neutral game is Tyler Vaughn's. The thing about that performance, and I tried to write about it, it's kind of mystifying. He had a career high night, 151 yards, and then he has such critical drops and that punt return at the six yard line that it was such a, a night of highs and lows that like, what do you take out of that, that Tyler Vaughn's performance? No, that's a stock down. You don't, you don't catch the first down completion. There's two other balls that are probably, one of them was broken up for sure. One of them else you get hit. And Tyler would probably say you should catch that. And he fumbles when you turn the ball over. It's not like he scored three touchdowns in the game. He but had a he bunch of yards. He set them up. He had a bunch of yards. He didn't score a touchdown. He set them he up. He gave to the score. ball away. He and, set them up to score. And I bet you Tyler Vaughn's, if you asked him if he was stock up or stock down, he'd say stock down. Mm. Yeah, because he knows he has to catch the ball. It's in the title of your position. When you have wide a, receiver. When you, you have, have a to career high night, you're not in stock down. Yeah, you are. When no, you turn the not. ball over. If Keaton Slovis goes out and throws for 500 yards in this game, but he throws a pick six at the end, he throws it right to the guy, and he goes the other way, that's going to be a stock down. That's a ridiculous... If it's a game-winning pick six, yeah. But that wasn't the case for Tyler Vons. They won the game, partially by some of the plays that he made. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and there's other guys that contributed positively and negatively too, but that doesn't make it neutral. No, it doesn't. Stock Neutral Nation, we're no. out there. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. Moving on. Get to, out of here. <laughs> moving on to Stock Down. Shotgun, who you got? I got to start with Josh Follow. I mean, a lot of people were clamoring, where was Josh Follow in this game? Where was he? And it, the, the thing was, that position has changed. It's now more of an H-back position rather than a tight end. You've seen Eric Hook moving around. We saw him on the end of the line. We saw him in the backfield. We saw him used as a fullback. You know, different areas there split out as well. But... Josh Follow, when he was in there, he didn't block well enough to earn more reps. So that's why he's on the stock down. The fact that he only played, I think, six or seven offensive snaps when he's a guy that can be a playmaker, can be a dynamic weapon at that position, but he's got to do a better job blocking so that he can earn those other reps for when they go to the three or four wide, and he's a receiving option then. So this is my fault, but you talking about a tight end made me realize another tight end that I meant to put on stock up, Eric Croman Hook, really quick. I thought he had a good game blocking. He was on the Bayless Jones kickoff return. Major improvement because, as we've noted on this podcast, 2018 was a bad year as far as tight end blocking goes. So I thought he really stepped up his game, um, and so stock up for him. But <laughs> that's not where we are right now in the podcast. We're back to stock down. So I had coaching decisions on stock down, the fourth and one. That one, I just think when you have a true freshman who's essentially playing with his hair on fire in the Coliseum, you put him in a, in a place to succeed. And I know Clay Helton said, I'm always going to bet on my players, and I get that. But you can also bet on your defensive players. You can bet on your punter who should be good enough to pin Fresno State uh, in the corner of their end zone. I think on that decision, you punt it, you don't let Keaton go for it, especially after the third and one wasn't successful. And then just clock management. Clay Helton was asked about it in his Thursday presser, and he thought he did it well. I just think that they took timeouts with 15 seconds left on the clock. The things that Clay Helton said that he was going to manage and be the CEO of the game, I just thought were not as crisp as they could have been. I don't have anything to add to that, which I know is unusual. Shocking. But, yeah, I mean. In the sense that you don't agree, or you just are like, meh. No, I mean, I kind of agree, and I just don't have much to add to it. I mean, the, the, the question on the fourth and one, third and one is, if they were up by six, would you do it? He's probably not doing it then. 
then you got to trust the defense. So I, I think they were trying to be aggressive. They did that earlier in the, you know earlier in the fourth quarter as well, late in the third quarter. They tried to be aggressive, tried to put the game away. So I'm not going to fault him for being aggressive in those situations. But the clock management, I, I'm going to leave that one to you. I'm going to go back to the players here. I'm going to go with Andrew Voorhees. I got him on stock down. You know, he's a guy that we expected to be the starter at right guard coming into the season and been a, you know, had started for two years for parts of the, his freshman year and all last year. And yet he's the guy that's backing up Jalen McKenzie. McKenzie got the starting reps. Drew Richmond has taken over that right tackle spot, it looks like. Now, Voorhees was in there in the second half because Richmond was out. But I, I thought that Voorhees, you know, the fact that he has slid down the depth chart, that's definitely a stock down for me. How much of that is the injury related? Because he's been in and out of the lineup the last two weeks of practice you know he missed Tuesday's practice wasn't dressed for that and then he was back on Wednesday he is expected to play this weekend but he's got to you know get back healthy and get back to full strength to try to work his way back up the depth chart yeah I would have to agree there so you went back to the players I'm going back to the coaches I had stocked down coach doublespeak or the coaches not really being on the same page with what they're telling the media. I thought that was something that really stood out this week. Um, First off, with the two number sevens on the first uh, kickoff return. First play of the game. The first play of the game in the season. Something where they were not they were not prepared there, and that's something that you had nine months to prepare for. Uh, Clay in the postgame presser said it was a last-minute substitution. We got to talk to John Baxter, and he said that they knew the night before that Chase Williams was going to be on the kickoff. That was because uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart was named the starter on Friday, so that was kind of a last-minute thing where they had to move Isaac Taylor Stewart, which in the first place, if he's going to be a starter or potential starter, why is he on a unit where you're gonna have to change everything the night before each week I don't understand that so not getting the same answer or the coaches being on the same page about the reason for why that happened was a little eyebrow raising uh, we got a question from Philip who said what's up with Essie having so many players with the same number I heard they have up to 30 Fresno State had none and that's something that I'm sure Philip got from instant analysis that's something that Dan and I talked to because we got to talk to John Baxter and he said after that happened in the in the film room on Sunday, he said, everyone who has the same number, if you have another guy with the same number, please stand up. And so around 30 players stood up, and they were a little all shocked that they had that many people with the same number, which is something that you'd hope that they would know earlier. Uh, John Baxter said that he sees the players as people and not numbers, so that's why that happened, but he took the blame for it, so at least... Uh, you have accountability there, but that's something that is part of your job and I think needs to be cleaned up going forward, uh, especially when a shotgun, you look ready to go. Go. All right, look, this is, this is my issue. USC might have had 30 people stand up, but if you go in the Fresno State locker room and ask them the same thing when they went back on Monday or Tuesday, they would have had a lot more than 30 stand up because they have 29 numbers that are used by multiple people. There are actually two numbers that have three people that, that are uh, assigned those numbers. So if you go through their roster and look at it, there's multiple people with the same number. There were multiple people in the game that played with the same number on offense and defense. The only time this comes into concern is when you have it on special teams. So your special teams coordinator needs to be on top of this. And as we've seen, they're not always on top of it on USC special teams sideline. You know, this is a it's just a terrible mistake, especially because it's the first play of the season. You know, if you want to say it's last minute, I guess it's last minute for the nine months of buildup that it's been going on. But the whole thing about Isaac Taylor Stewart being a starter, what does that matter? Eric Cromanhook's a starter. He's in there. You know, you have offensive linemen in there. Jalen McKenzie's a starter on that kickoff unit. You know, what is the big deal? What is it about them being a starter that you have to take them off units? You have several starters that 
that play uh, special teams as well. I mean, Elijah Griffin had 91 plays in there because he played 12 snaps. He's a starter. Why didn't they take him off every unit? Like, this is that's a bad, bad excuse. And like you said, it's because it's doublespeak to me. You're saying one thing and then saying something else to someone else, and it's we're seeing it from two sides. And I think you're probably going to bring up you yes. know, Graham Harrell no, here. No, don't do it. So the other point I had on the coach doublespeak was about the wide receiver rotation. Now, that's something that was I knew asked. you were going there. Of course. It makes <laughs> the most sense. Um, so the wide receivers were asked about a lot just because the rotation was just so slim. And so Clay Hilton said that the game was going too fast. They didn't have time to sub. I also asked Tyler Vons about it, and that's what he said as well. But then I got to ask Graham Harrell about it on Tuesday. And Graham, if you go back to the interview, go watch it because Graham Harrell kind of he starts and then he stops and then he kind of laughs and then he's like, you know what? We practiced so hard that the game was not the same speed that the players were used to. Uh, they they police themselves and they were supposed to take themselves out when they got tired and I guess they just didn't get tired. So then you're kind of scratching your head like, okay, Clay said one thing, Graham said the other, and then Tyler Vaughn said this too. And you're just like, what's the real answer? So we're getting multiple answers that don't line up for certain questions that we have. So on the whole, just stock down for Coach Doublespeak they're not really on the same page as far as what they're telling the media. Now, the next talk down, we both have containment on the edge. Shotgun, you take this one. Yeah, I got edge play. I mean, there was just way too many times where they gave Fresno State the edge and let them run around. Now, it could be different people. And this is another example of double speak. Clay Helton goes on Trojans Live. He's asked about the edge play and their containment issues they had in that game. And he said, well, you know, the defensive end's doing his job and then the, the linebacker has to spill over the top and the defensive back on the, on the side of the play has to force the play back inside. Well, then Christian Rector comes on. He's the next guest. And they ask him about it. And he said, well, it's my fault. Now, I think that one's less a... a thing of them not understanding the message between coaches or anything. I think it's just Christian Rector want, as a senior wants to take responsibility for something where he thinks he could do a little bit better job, but it's not really his job on that play. He's, you know, depending on how you coach it, and there's different ways to do it, but I, I believe that USC coaches it where he's supposed to take the dive guy, and then if he can come off that and play the quarterback, then that's great. You know, but that's not his guy. The, the guy that's supposed to get out there is the linebacker. They're supposed to roll around the outside, but there were times when USC were both guys. You know, it's either one or the other. It's either him or one of the linebackers is supposed to be taking the dive, and the other one's supposed to be taking the outside leverage and taking the quarterback in this situation. And there were many times when both players were going after the dive or both players were going the opposite direction. Now, it was it, almost every time it was after the dive because USC do, did so well, you saw in this game, of stuff in the middle that all their runs came on the edges. So I think Fresno State did a great job of adjusting a little bit at halftime and doing some more jet sweeps and stuff to get on that edge uh, after seeing how it worked well in the first half. But I just think USC's got to do a much better job. And that starts starts with the DBs on the outside and forcing things back in. But then it you know it, it's on the linebackers in particular. And I thought John Houston played pretty well. I didn't think he played great. I didn't think he played terrible. But I thought he played pretty well. Pallier and Itiote, though, I got him on stock down as well. He, yeah. sh he struggled in this game. He, he struggled to recognize the play, whether it was being handed off to the running back or you know the, the difference of the read options. I thought Jorge Reyna did a great job of hiding the ball. You know He fooled me a few times when I was trying to take photos. But I think Pallier and Itiote struggled with identification in this game, and he's got to get that corrected quick because – 
if Stanford sees that and after they see the tape, you know, they're going to go hard on that. They're going to do a lot of misdirection to try to get USC going one way because that worked for Fresno State as well with the reverse and, you know, a couple other plays where they got USC going one way, had them over pursue, and then hit them back the other way. So Pallier, he's got he's to play a lot better this game. And he is a guy that is going to be such a good player as long as he makes sure he reads his keys and doesn't try to do too much. And I think that was the issue with both Pallier and Itiote and Christian Rector, just because those got the two guys I mentioned, but some other players as well, just trying to do a little too much. I think Clancy said something similar to that. Clancy Pendergast described it as being overzealous. They were just trying to do too much, had the blinders on, not really reading the play well. So stuff like that. Um, but in terms of EA, how what's realistic as far as how much growth he can have in the middle of a season? I mean, that's something where you simplify. You know, the blinder, the the analogy of blinders, you give a horse blinder so it runs in a straight line. Give the linebacker or defensive end or whoever the, the defender is in this situation, put the blinders on, and you have one job. Take care of your one job. Stop trying to do so much. You know, if your job is the, is the dive, then you go at the dive hard. You don't worry about the guy going outside. Now, if you go to the dive and you tackle that guy and you get up and he doesn't have the ball in his hands, hey, then go try to tackle somebody else. If all 11 guys don't do their job, then it, it creates a big hole. All it takes is one guy to mess something up. And you saw that over and over where there's just big gaps on the outside because they were not consistently doing their job. Just do your do your job. Clancy said they need to take the blinders off. You say they need to put them back on? Yeah, put the blinders back on. Focus on one task. Don't try to do too much. I don't know what to make of EA's performance because I, I talked on this podcast the week of that he had talked about how – Clancy's defense is simplified. He feels like he can play so much better in it. He's playing faster. Now, granted, maybe too fast, but I just, I don't think anyone really expected this type of performance out of him. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it wasn't the expectation for sure, which is why he's on stock down for me. Uh, you know, he just has to focus on doing a simple task. You can't do the hard task until you can do the simple one. You know, that's, that's kind of a, a fundamentals thing in football or in any occupation or any job, you know, is that you got to do the simple task first before you can start trying to do the extraordinary. Yep, makes sense. Now, we got some fan submissions for stock down. First up, Stephen Poway says, major stock down candidate, the QBs. Does this make the decision to essentially push Jack Sears out by making him fourth string while putting in a true freshman with no experience as second string now look like a rookie coaching decision? Now, let's pump the brakes a little bit. As far as Keaton Slovis goes, I genuinely believe that Graham Harrell is really impressed with Slovis. Like, that's not something that they just wanted to do. That's based on their real opinion of Slovis. Look, they didn't push Jack Sears out. Why would you push a guy out when you've already, you know, you've already spent the scholarship on him? You expect, even if he stays around, you know, if, if he decides to leave after this year, he's graduating, so that you're going to get the scholarship back. So why would you push him out? Why would you push a guy that has a game experience for you out when Matt Fink barely has any game experience and Keaton Slovis doesn't have any. Jack Sears just didn't perform as well as they they wanted to. They didn't perform well enough to, to be up higher on the depth chart for the coaches. Now, did I think he was fourth? No, I didn't think he was fourth, but I'm not the coaches. I'm not seeing everything. I don't know exactly what Reedy's supposed to be making on every play, so you know that could all play into it. They didn't push him out, but yes, the, the QB's depth is hurt definitely because now you have two scholarship quarterbacks I would like to know, have you called Jack Sears yet? Because I would try to get him to come back and say, hey, you're going to get more opportunities in practice now. It's better for you to be practicing and going against the defense, even if it's scout team, to be going against our number one defense rather than 
just focusing on your studies and working with a QB coach or whatever. You know, I, I think you're going to get a much better look at defenses, a much better workout as a quarterback if you come back and, and practice. That would be my pitch to him. I would definitely, you know, go. you don't have to go hat in hand necessarily, but I would throw it out there and say, hey, would you want, like to come back? You know, I understand why you left. We would like to have you back, though, if you want to come. I, we don't know that that happened, and it doesn't sound – really like that Clay Helton had reached out to him. But, you know, the depth is concerning now because USC's third-string quarterback now is a guy that was a reserve safety last week. Brandon Perdue, who is a junior college transfer, from, he was a 2014 graduate from Oaks Christian. But, you know, he transferred over to the defensive side and was wearing number 27 as a safety up until two days ago. So now he's your third string guy. So, you know, that is definitely concerning. You, de- you never want to have only two scholarship guys because you saw what happened in that Utah game when they had to go, you know, they had two injuries. Luckily for USC, you know, J- Matt Fink was hurt on the last drive that USC had or else they would have been, they would have been down to the third guy. So, you know, you are definitely concerned about the QB depth. The thing that I don't understand about the Jack Sears pushers is that you have two separate quarterback coaches, two separate offensive coordinators named Sears last in two different quarterback competitions. That's a great point, actually. That's one I haven't thought of, but that's a great point. So I don't understand why people are pushing so hard for him when, what, he's going to walk in and still be the last guy on the scholarship depth chart? It's not like... It's it's not some magical arrangement that was like, you know, we don't like Sears, let's push him out. It was just he didn't get there on the depth chart so it's not like they're going to rush back to him unless uh, more injuries call for that yeah and it's not like jack sears is a cancer in the locker room or anything nothing we've heard that would, that would no. make you think that he's never been in any trouble so it's not like well it's questionable whether you want to bring this this ain't last chance you you know it's just i would reach out and say hey i think you're gonna get a better opportunity here and you're better prepared if you're coming back and practicing with us than just being uh, on your own we had one more listener submission for Stockdown, and L.A. Fred had a couple. He First, he said, John Baxter, can he get any lower? Helton's offseason changes. Clancy Pendergast's rush yardage excuse. We don't count that. Palier Nayoteote look lost, and Ben Griffith's punts. I would agree with all of them, but I, you know, I, I think you can't. John Baxter, he did the, his special teams unit did return a kick for a touchdown, and it was potentially the game-deciding score. So... I struggle to put him on that list. Yeah, they didn't give up. It's not the Texas game. They didn't give up a block. They didn't have multiple 16-yard punts. You know, it's not. It wasn't that bad. You know, they have one penalty, and if that if that penalty comes when they kick the ball out of you know they kick it out of the back of the end zone, it's a touchback, and people are like, okay, whatever. That's that's special teams, and USC made a mistake with jerseys. It's only because it was a big return that mm-hmm. it has become such a story, I believe. So I wouldn't have him on there. And the other one it was is another special teams player, is Ben Griffiths. You know, John Baxter did say this week, he told Dan Weber that he executed the game plan, Ben Griffiths did, as a punter. He, his net was 37, you know, which is a – his average net was 37. That's perfectly fine average. It's not great, but it's perfectly fine. I'm just not going to be – I'm not willing to put him on stock down, though. No. First game, too. You know, yeah, he's, no. Technically, he's a true freshman there. Alrighty, well, let's move to Hurt It on the sideline. And we are actually back on the sideline for this game. What? Exciting to be back on the Coliseum field. Shotgun, what do you have? Especially after two weeks and not even being at practice. I really, know, that's so. what I'm saying. It's nice to get some some action. I, I mean, the, the one of the most fun parts of the entire game was on the sideline, actually. When Isaiah Polamau strips the ball out, Nick Figueroa recovers it. It's later overturned on a review. But Nick Figueroa runs the ball over to where, and the defensive linemen are on the far end of USC's bench, away from where this play happened. Sprints the ball over. 
this first opportunity to really get in the game. He, he's super excited, takes the ball, and he basically spikes it on the chair where, where, uh, where Coach Chad K sits down, where the defensive line coach and where Johnny Nansen is. You know, where those two guys are kind of, that's their domain. I brought you this ball, Coach. <laughs> well, Juliano Falanico was having none of it. He came running behind him, grabs the ball, and then hides it away underneath the bench. And there's a ball boy, there's a Pac-12 ball boy, which uh, ends up actually – Fresno State, a little behind the curtain action. Fresno State only brought two ball boys. Normally you bring four. So you have two on each sideline, I believe. Or maybe it's two. They, they brought half the amount of ball boys that they would normally bring. So USC's managers had to fill in for them. So one of the USC managers is searching for this ball that's Fresno State's. He's not going to search too hard. But, like, he's looking. It's underneath the bench, hidden away. And someone has to help out and find it because Giuliano Falanico had hidden that ball. And when he hit it, he said, that's our ball. That's our ball now. Okay, because I was going to ask, what's the point of hiding it? I guess because you're claiming it as yours. This is ours. This is ours now. I claim <laughs> this land. Like, if he had a stake with a flag, he would have stuck it in that football. Apparently. Sounds <laughs> like it. It was hilarious, though, because the ball boy comes over, and he's searching. He has no – he's like, where did it go? What? And someone had to help him out. One of the special teams players, I think, helped him out a little bit. Oh, the special teams guys always <laughs> so nice. Nothing makes you realize the pace of play that USC is going at on offense when you're filming it. And so I definitely got the learning lessons because I'm used to USC, you know, running a play, getting to the line of scrimmage, kind of waiting their time, look to the sideline. Okay, let's get in position. No, this is fast. They're running the ball. They are going at a faster pace, and I could tell just because how much I was like, oh, I don't have time to stop to kind of lollygag between plays. And you even noticed the shotgun because you were trying to talk to me in between a play, and I was like, I have no time. I have to keep filming. <laughs> and you could see the effect it had on Fresno in those first couple of drives. You know, they didn't let them breathe, basically. They put the, you know, they're basically putting their foot on their neck and just, you know, pressing down harder and harder with each play that they're gaining yards. And that's what they're trying to do with this offense. So it's going to be interesting to see this week. What's the tempo going to be? Because you know Stanford ain't, ain't snapping the ball until there's three seconds left on the clock or less. Yep, without that. They're going to be every – probably every play will be underneath 10 seconds for sure. And there will be – I would say 50% will be under five seconds on the play clock. They're going to make sure that USC plays at their tempo. That's going to be their goal on offense. And it will be whichever offense moves the ball more as to what the tempo of the game will be at. Next up, though, I got Jalen McKenzie going after some Fresno State defenders, you know, verbally going after them uh, after Vivai Malapai's touchdown run. He was going after him. I asked him after the game. I was like, man, he got into it a little bit there. He's like, yeah, I know a lot of those guys because they're all Bay Area guys because Fresno being up there, he's from the, the Bay Area. So he said, I know a lot of them. So he wanted to let them know after they scored that, that touchdown late in the, I think it was late in the third quarter, that, that, uh, that he had helped push that one in. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm going against people I know from my hometown, you best believe I'll be jawing <laughs> a little bit and letting them know what I did. I mean, I'm jaw constantly jawing with people back home that I haven't seen in like seven years. It's just a con it's constant text thread. That's what happens. So this next thing I have is just a quick little tidbit that I tweeted out. When Keaton Slovis knew that he was going to be the next guy up at the start of the third quarter, uh, he came up to the whole offensive line bench he went up to each guy tapped him on the shoulder pad uh, gave him a little dab stuff like that he was really pumping up the offensive line and that's something you want to see from a guy who's going to take the helm like that you want that confidence and I know people made fun of Dan Weber for talking about how much Keaton Slovis is confident but Slovis talked this week about how he was sad that he didn't win the job and this is a true rookie coming in to already a guy an incumbent fighting for the job and he wants that job he was a three-star coming out of Arizona but this is a guy who just has that confidence and if you're going to put a guy in this situation where he's the starter for the next 11 games as a rookie. You want someone that has that type of belief in himself. Now, for the final hurt it that I have, since kickoff was at 730, 
when the game got to the later portions of the night, people started to trickle out. So the Coliseum was a little dead around the end of the game. But when Isaiah Pulamau picked off Reyna, the screams that just came out of U- the USC fans that were left just kind of shocked me. And, th- and it was the way that they screamed because it wasn't like a jubilation like, <laughs> yay, this happened. I felt the relief of the thousands of USC fans who were left just being like, this game didn't end the way we thought it was going to end. They were just, you could just feel the relief in all of them. And so I was pretty taken aback. Like, wow, this is a very like specific type of scream from these fans. I didn't really notice that, but that's a, that's an interesting point. And it's going to be a seven thirty game again this week. These seven thirty games are rough. I didn't go to bed till four thirty that night. It's, it's rough times. See, I always assume that it's going to be six hours from when I get to the stadium or went from game time not even from when i get to the stadium six hours for, for the game and for interviews and to finish one story before i leave so you know you, you go into a game assuming you're going to leave between 1 30 and 2 o'clock when it's a 7 30 game no i i'm aware of that i'm just saying i'm not it's it's rough on the body yeah, my sleep schedule is all over the place i don't think i went two. to bed till seven or so yeah it makes sense normal Alrighty, let's move to agree, disagree. First one up, since USC's offense is supposed to be quarterback friendly, there shouldn't be much of a drop-off with Keaton Slovis at the helm. I disagree. I just think JT showed why he's the starter and why he was had, had been earn, earned that spot and what the offense can do with him. Now, I think Slovis can do some good things, but I think that JT would have been doing better, so I think there will be a drop-off there. I still think they can win, and if they run the ball, then it makes it easier on Slovis. I mean, JT was doing that without much of a running game that first half. I mean, they were picking up yards, but they didn't run it much is what I'm saying. So I I think that they're going to have to run the ball, especially against Stanford, to take a little bit of the pressure off of him, and then we'll see how the offense does with him slinging the ball around. That's a perfect segue into my second agree-disagree for you. I said Stanford's key to success on defense is loading the box, taking out the run option, and forcing Slovis to beat them with his arm. Yeah, I think that's definitely what they're going to try to do. Now, do you counter that with deep balls like we saw last year? Or you can use some of the wide receiver screens. You can do some of the stuff that that, uh, Stanford, I mean, that Fresno State was doing to USC last week, trying to get to the edges because USC was clogging up everything in the middle. So I think if they can find some running lanes on the outside, let those athletes do what they do, then they can find some success that way too. and, And you're not putting too much stress on Keaton Slovis. Now, this is something that I wanted to ask Graham Harrell, but it's hard to get a word edgewise in his scrums. But Especially when there's a quarterback change. Yeah, there's a lot of news this week. But something that the ESPN announcer said over and over again was the 15 first plays that USC had on offense and how successful they were and how they were scripted, and that's why they had more success rather than what happened later on. And so what we saw from that was that the fans kind of adopted that theory and were down on the air raid offense. So this agree-disagree is the ESPN announcers were correct in their scripted play theory. Where's my buzzer at? Exactly. Scripted play theory. The the whole thing with the air raid offense is that it it adjusts with your adjustments. You know, that's what one of the receivers told me earlier in, in the fall is that you can't, you know, there's no way to stop this offense because anything you adjust to, it's going to adjust to. And USC did some different things where, you know, they Fresno started dropping, you know, their coverage to a shallow zone with their linebackers and stuff. USC threw over it. That's where you saw the catch where Tyler Vaughn went up over the defender. That's where you saw the deep ball. 
Keaton Slovis recognized the one-on-one matchup and went to it. You know, you look at the deep ball that he threw to Michael Pittman Jr. that was that was intercepted, and it looked like there was a little bit of miscommunication there when we looked at the replay. You know, I think he had a one-on-one opportunity there, and that's what he was going for. It's just he and Michael Pittman were not on the same page. So I think that's something they're going to do if Stanford tries to bring those linebackers up, kind of like Fresno did with some of their adjustments. But Fresno also dropped eight, you know, early in the game and then did it as well. And what did USC do to, against that? They ran the ball, and that's what you have to do. Whatever the defense gives you, you take it. Now, if they give a shallow zone, you can throw over it or you can run. There's two different ways. There's obvi- there's almost always multiple ways to attack a defense, but you just have to be a, be willing to do that rather than being stubborn and saying we're going to run you know this certain play and we're going to run at this depth and all that. No, this is a run to grass offense, and that's what USC's receivers were able to do in this game. Yeah, I think the fans that were saying that, oh, this is the same offense we saw in Baloney. 2018. One, wrong. Two, I don't think you remember how gumbo the gumbo was. Like, it was bad. This, the first, especially the first two drives, the identity in this offense was completely different than what you saw last year. So, yeah, and, and USC's offense never was really stopped by Fresno State's defense in this, other than the turnover on the interception. And I think that was just a mistake by JT Daniels, too. I don't even think that that's, I'm not even going to give Fresno State credit to that because he threw it right to him. Well, Harrell said that was just supposed to be a run play to begin with. Pittman was just a second option. But once the snap was bobbled, which I'm not sure everyone saw on the broadcast, but he bobbled the snap. So it immediately took Vi off of the play. Yeah, and, and you if you look on the other side of the play, the two receivers are both blocking on it. Everyone else in the play, besides JT Daniels and Michael Pittman, are run blocking or running a run play. It is a true run pass option. There's one pass option on it. Now, the thing is, once the run was gone, he should have taken his time. He wasn't under pressure and read the defense. And if it wasn't there, he's supposed to throw it away. Graham Harrell did say, he said, sometimes the best thing you can do is throw the ball away. So that was the mistake there. But never did Fresno State just create this great uh, scheme that just stopped the USC offense. There was no big sacks that pulled everything away. You know, they had a great play. I'll give them credit for the the play that JT Daniels gets hurt on. You know, I think USC made a late adjustment on the offensive line and didn't pick up the blitz. So that is one play where they 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 had a schematic advantage but the rest of the time not necessarily you know it was basically USC not catching balls on third down and then the the two turnovers really hurt them and what I said on tunnel vision uh, last week was that the excuse we got in 2018 was oh they're execution errors we didn't we just didn't execute and I didn't believe that it was fundamental errors with the scheme whereas this time around, I actually believe that it's execution errors. It's the, it's the catches that Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's make in their sleep that they just didn't do on Saturday. So that's why I'm holding out judgment on this offense until we see more because I'm just I'm not counting it out like people automatically did on Saturday. I agree. Discipline is a major concern for the defense going forward. Yeah, I've got I got to agree with that. You know, until they show me differently, I think so. And by discipline, I mean doing your job. You know, as we spoke about earlier, not necessarily that they're getting personal fouls. Yeah, or, this is not like a behavioral. Yeah, thing. Not jumping off sides all the time. No, this is you know making sure you do your job, not trying to do too much. And that was the that's a big issue for them. If they don't correct that this week, Stanford will run all over them. You know, their running backs will run for a combined 300 yards if USC doesn't figure out how to just do your job, not try to do everyone else's job at the same time. Now moving on to our final agree, disagree. This Stanford team coming to the Coliseum is not going to be the same Stanford that fans are used to seeing. That's a tough one. You know, I would 
disagree with that. I think it, it's going to be still a Stanford brand, you know, the intellectual brutality that they want with their offensive line. They're going to try to run the ball. But it's going to be a little bit different because all the marquee players are kind of gone. You know, Paulson Adebo is back in the D, as a DB, but that's not a guy that everyone knows at, 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 on face value, I think. The fact that KJ Costello is out of this game, no Bryce Love, no J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. You just don't have the big names yet, whereas Davis Mill might become that eventually in his career. I think that, that that's a little bit different, and maybe they'll throw the ball a little bit more because they don't have that true bell cow running back in Bryce Love or Christian McCaffrey that they can do different things with. Uh, I think that that's going to be different. But I think it's still the same Stanford mentality. They're going to play the game slow. They're going to try to run the ball and be super physical in the trenches. It's Stanford to a certain extent. Yeah, it's not quite. It's not like a Stanford 2.0 or anything. I think it's still the same type of team with some different faces, and you got to kind of adjust things, tweak things uh, to uh, to fit your personnel. Before we get into questions, I have my own question for you. Or I guess I just want to. I want to pick your brain a little bit because I. Uh oh. I think I kind of turned myself into like I was a dog chasing my tail in circles with how much I kind of overanalyze this game like what do we take away from it it's week one what and so I guess here's my thing I was surprised at how reactionary everyone was to this game now it makes sense when it felt like USC did the same thing they did over and over again and I came out of this game yes there are things that I am definitely concerned about but I still think there's talent there so I don't know where I end up yeah, and I don't know where I end up because I do think if coached well, this talent can overcome some of the deficiencies. But that's the big if. Can they be coached well? And can these coaches make the right decisions? Seeing Clay make mistakes that we've seen him make for the last three years, to me, was like, do I really think? Am I being suckered into this again where I think that somehow the coaching will be just good enough that the talent can overcome it? I just don't know where I stand right now. And I think the only real thing that's keeping me keeping me in a mindset where I think USC could overcome their deficiencies is really just Graham Harrell's offense and running it well enough to outplay their opponent. Yeah, I'm always a little bit more lenient on the first game. I don't try to jump to these vast, you know, this is going to be how the season is the entire year. I mean, we say it every year about Stanford, you know. It's the a false it's positive. A, yeah, it's a great barometer to see where the teams are at. And then not so much because Stanford's not really like all the other teams. So, you know, you may struggle with a really physical team, but be really good against spread teams. And you suck against Stanford, and suddenly you're really good the rest of the schedule. You, you don't really know. Uh, at the first game of the season in particular, I'm usually more lenient. You know, I'm not as harsh on people, you know, except for the guys that's really great expectations, like Pallier and Itiote. He's got to play better. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm still concerned with the coaching like you are. But I think this coaching staff is more – is built better than they were two years ago when they won the Pac-12 or even maybe three years ago when they won, you know, a Rose Bowl. So as long as the talent plays there and you, you don't get in their way too much, that can sometimes, you know, sometimes a coach just has to throw the ball out there and let them play, as Clay likes to say. But I think that sometimes you just have to do that and not get in their way. And I think the things they worked on as far as the discipline and, you know, and accountability, those type things, those were things they needed to work on. So as long as we see some improvement in those areas, and hey, they only had four penalties. They were big penalties. They cost them, but they were only four penalties. I think that's a positive sign. Uh, I think that there, as long as there's some accountability, which is still a question mark on there with some of the penalties and other things, but if there's accountability like they said they needed and like we all agreed with, then I think this team can, can do some really good things still. I just keep swinging back and forth on where I think this team can go, and I just don't know if it's delusional that I think this, but it's just the, I think the only reason why I think this is because it's the most USC thing to happen. 
But I think Keenan Silvis can be successful in this offense. I think he could lead this team with his leadership skills. I don't really count like some people tweeted me like, okay, well, season's over, JT's out, see you in 2020. I just I, I'm not counting this team out yet, and I don't know if that's delusional based on what we've seen. <laughs> I think there's enough talent around Slovis. I don't think he has to do everything. If they just uh, you know, allow him to do what he needs to do, his arm talent has definitely taken off. I think, that he, I think he put some weight on, and I think it helped his arm strength, and he's able to make some throws that maybe some of the other quarterbacks at, at USC can't necessarily make. I mean, that's what Graham Harrell's told us, that you know, he makes throws that other guys can't. Now, he didn't necessarily say the three other guys he's competing with in the fall camp can't make, but he said that other guys can't. Now, he, he has, some, has made some strong throws the outside and made some strong throws over the middle. He has some zip on the ball uh, that wasn't necessarily there, you know, a year and a half ago when we saw him in the summer. So, you know, I think that he's really improved his game, and I think that he's kind of taken off, and we'll see what he can do as a, as a true freshman, you know, starting. At least he doesn't have to start on the road, I guess. True. So he, gets Sam to, Darnold? he gets to start at home. You know, he's going to face Stanford, though. So, you know, if Stanford controls the ball, that's going to put a, a big premium and an emphasis on, on taking care of the ball. You know, don't turn the ball over, but making the most out of opportunities. Can USC do that this weekend? Can Slovis be, be the one to help them do that? Big questions going into Saturday for sure. But let's go into the questions for us. First up, friend of the program. Maybet from Ontario, and I just got to say, Shotgun, I'm very jealous. You actually got to meet Maybet in Canada. No, I'm just kidding, but you got to meet her. What was that like? She's from Ontario, obviously, but not Canada. At the same luncheon I was talking about a little bit earlier, you know, she was there, and I got to meet her, and you were very jealous, obviously. I was. Maybet's a homie. Yeah, so she, Maybet, thank you very much for, for sending us questions every week and I being know. a loyal listener. We for really sure. appreciate it, and it was great to meet her and got to talk a little football with her and my expectations for the season and that I thought USC would win by 21 points over Fresno, but I didn't know that the quarterback was going to go down before okay, halftime. So, there's okay, there's your caveat. I also ran into her you know, on my way into the game as well, so I got a, a dual siding. A dual Maybet siding. Yeah, Crazy. Uh, she says, hello, Keelan Shotgun. This is Maybet from Ontario. She says, I have a few questions. First off, do you have parking tips? Is it better to go Metro? I would say if you have a Honda, you know, they have a service where they wash your car, too. That was great. I tried it last week, and, you know, my car was, was still there when I got out. And it was You're nice and clean. You were a little concerned about it. I was, just that the gate would be locked because we get out so late. But, yeah, you know. You, you can get your car washed and, and you know at, while you're at the game, and it's free parking, which is fantastic. Not too far away from from the stadium there. Uh, I think it is better to go metro if you are near a line. You know, I when I lived in downtown LA, I would take the metro as much as I could, just because it takes out a lot of hassle of worrying about parking, worrying about getting to your car, and all those things, especially with big events like a USC football game. And you know, if you park on campus, it's what, $25? If you're going for an entire day, you're going to be on campus tailgating, that's that's not a bad bargain there. But there's also a couple side streets on, on that are near the Coliseum if you don't mind a little walking. Yeah, I've actually found side streets that are open. Um, you kind of got to walk a little bit, but you can find parking for free. Yeah, on the other side of Galen Center, there's sometimes some stuff on Flower and different places. Like they that. actually stop that. They put no parking signs this oh. year. Yeah, so watch out for that. Go one more street over on the other side of the freeway. There's some some seedy streets, but still streets with free parking. True. Uh, she says, do you think Coach Graham Harrell has a few trick plays under his sleeve? We've talked about it before on this podcast. There was a creative trick play. I think it was on her on the sidelines. Uh, the defensive coaches were a little wild by it. But, yes, there are trick plays up his sleeve. There are trick plays. I know the playbook's supposed to be so thin and everything, and there's only, you know, if you if you got to look at the playbook, it'd only be one one sheet of paper front and back or something. I don't you know, whatever the, the – uh, It's a CVS receipt, the whole playbook. <laughs> 
<laughs> that could easily be done. <laughs> With my tiny writing, you could get it done. But no, you know, there's trick plays. There's some different things. There's some some stuff like reverses and stuff that are going to be counters to what you do uh, repeatedly. So what you do all the time, you know, if you all the time you sit down in the short zone, there's going to be some out and ups. There's going to be some some hitch and goes type thing. You always have it, try to have a counter on what you do normally so that if a team tries to overplay your tendencies, then you can you can beat them with that. So yeah, yeah, there's some trick plays. There's some different things that are that are going to be in there. I'm sure we'll see them eventually. And then last, she says, how many defensive touchdowns do you pre- predict will score this season? Score with a capital S C, like a true Trojan fan. There, she says, special thanks to both of you for keeping our football fix satiated during the off season. Keep feuding and fight on. You know, I, I think that USC scored two defensive touchdowns last year. I think I'm going to at least double that. I think they'll get four. Just the, the emphasis on the turnovers and the fact that, you know, they popped the ball out five times in this game, you know, or, or took the ball away. One interception, four calls, fumbles, two after the whistle. But, you know, the fact that the ball popped out those times, they've really emphasized it. And if it shows up on, on Saturdays like it did last week, I think that that's just that many opportunities for the team. You know, a play like the one where Nick Figueroa, if, if, that, if that ball, obviously if he wasn't down, but if that ball's in the middle of the field, there were eight USC players in the frame on that one. The ball kind of popped up in the air. Like there were a couple guys that had a chance at it when it was up in the air, not on the ground. So if a play like that happened in the middle of the field or outside the tackles a little bit, I think somebody picks that up and runs it in. I think I could see that happening a couple times. I think USC at least gets four this year. That's something that we haven't mentioned yet, but I did think USC did a better job of of getting to the ball, having a lot of hats on the ball. That's something that Clancy said he was proud of looking at the film with just how many guys were just around the ball. But as far as uh, defensive touchdowns. I'm going to go with four. I'm going to go as far to say that Drake Jackson's going to have a scoop and score. Oh, he's not going to intercept it like he did in the spring game. He Ooh, one handed. That was wow. just still a nasty play. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I think that you you point out a great thing that, that a, a great point from Clancy about how they were rallying to the ball. Yeah, there we the go. That de- was the phrase that I was trying to say. Sorry, the Sorry, defensive lineman rallying to the ball was what was most impressive. You know, you had guy Marlon Tuipolotu causes the first fumble. That's a play where he's the the nose tackle over the center. That ball is a scramble. You know, the quarterback goes outside the tackles, and you know he's able to run out and get that. You know, there was a couple plays where you know Hunter Eccles chases down a play, or or Isaiah Polamau was blitzing on a play, and then he comes on the reverse. And he tracks the guy all the way down, and it turns out to be a huge play. If he doesn't make the tackle, the guy might score. He gets down to about the 10-yard line. The very next play, Juliano Falanico recovers a fumble. If he doesn't hustle in that play, then he maybe he scores, and there's never that chance for USC to get the turnover. So I thought you know, I was really impressed by the way they ran to the ball. And there's a lot of things that the defense can clean up, but that is something that was really impressive with this group. You know, They were given that effort really hustling out there, and I, I thought it was a, a true team effort on, in that role. Agreed. Uh, we have another question from our buddy Stephen Poway. He says, how does a team that was so focused on physical strength development in the offseason come off their first game against an inferior opponent looking so dot, 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 soft? It seemed like all the D linemen kept getting manhandled at the line of scrimmage and our O linemen held their own. But when push came to shove, we were not able to push the piles. Um, Drake Jackson had five pressures. Christian Rector had five pressures. If you want to say the D line didn't do their job of tackling the quarterback or sacking the quarterback sure but getting manhandled like I I just didn't see that at all I I think that that one 
I think that's a little bit of revisionist history there. You know, the defensive tackles maybe, but their job is is oftentimes to clog up the middle. I thought the defensive ends, the guys on the outside did a good job. Hunter Eccles had a couple pressures as well. You know, I thought USC as a defensive line as a whole, they did a good job. And I love the rotation. I love Nick Figueroa getting there. He and Brandon Peely and, and Marlon Tupelotu, all those guys, Jay Tefele had a couple plays where I was just it was just a beast mode. It was monster throwing. There was one play where he throws a offensive lineman two different ways. He beats the guy initially going to his left, and then he throws he throws him uh, across him to his right, and, he, and the guy gets spun around. He throws him again the opposite direction. It was just beautiful to watch. You know, there was some really nice defensive line play. Now they've got to do a better job. They've got to do a better job of making sure the tackles are made, getting guys down. I mean, they let Jorge Reina run for what was it, eighty yards, and a lot of that came from the defensive line not finishing plays they got to finish those you know Graham Harrell said after the game hey we got to finish drives same thing for the defensive lineman they got to finish drives as well and that that's tackling the quarterback and making sure you get those TFLs we got a tweet from Pete what is the vibe on campus apathy excitement somewhere in between somewhere in between I would guess I think so so Ryan and I talked to uh I went back to my old professor's class and we talked to that class and the questions we got were kind of like what happened to JT Daniels and What's happening with Jack Sears? That's kind of the real questions we got. And like, is this really going to be a good season? So it's kind of, I think there's some cautiousness there. I think people are waiting and seeing. Michael sent us a tweet that says, what would be considered a good record for USC with a freshman quarterback with this strength of schedule? Not five and seven. That was a weaker strength of schedule last year when you had a freshman quarterback. But, you know, I looked at that, the Matt Barkley-led team. I think they ended up 7-4 and four or 8-4 and four or something like that at the end of the season or regular season. That's not out of the question. You know, I thought 9-3 and three initially coming into the season. I downgraded after the fall showcase to 8-4. and four. That's still a possibility, but I'm, I'm leaning more towards 7-5 and five after losing uh, your, your starting quarterback. I don't, if you get 7-5 and five with Slovis, depending on how you look in some of those games, then I think you, you might be positive at the end of the season, you know, how he progresses as the season goes on. Or you might be at the end of the season like, I can't wait to get JT back. Can't wait till Bryce Young potentially comes on campus. You know, those might be your thoughts. It's, it's hard to say. It was the same, same thing with the question about, you know, is this la- JT's last game? Because if Keaton does really well, then he's taking over. Or Bryce Young comes in. There's so many things that can happen between now and then that it's hard to, it's hard to make those overall statements. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say seven and five. Was, is that a good record? I think that's I think that's where they may end up. I think eight and four. You'd say that's that's pretty good for a true freshman coming in. You know, a three star quarterback. We didn't know we're getting in this I guy. I mean, type you and I thing. predicted that with JT Daniels at the helm. Yeah. So if you do that with with Slovis, I think that's a success. Yeah, I think that's a good record. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, I think seven and five is probably where they end up, but I think a good record would be eight and four. We got a tweet from Gustavo who says, how long of a leash do you think Slovis has? I'm just wondering what it would take to see Fink this season. We discussed this earlier off off camera, off record, off production, whatever we've been doing all day. It sure. seems like we've been talking a lot. It's, well, it's 1230 a.m. behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Ryan about this and you know what his thoughts were. I think that, you know, I think it's more than the numbers. I, I think that Slovis would just have to look really, really bad. And maybe it's a, a seven or ten point game. And let's try something different. You know, it's in the fourth quarter. Let's try something different. He's looked pretty bad. But he could be, you know, his numbers could be really bad. And it could, it could look a lot better. You know, it could be a tipped interception or something. Like, that's not really his fault. You know, off the wide receiver. You know, it'll be depend on the, the optics of it. But I think it's going to be a pretty long leash. 
you know, you saw the same thing with, with JT Daniels last year when he struggled, you know, the Stanford game in particular, or, you know, even Max Brown and, and Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold had some packages and stuff, but it wasn't like they did. They always said, and they've said it, you know, all three of these years we're referencing, we don't want them looking over their shoulder. We don't want a quarterback that's looking over his shoulder. So there will be a longer leash on those guys, I believe. I will also say that we did reference Coach Doublespeak in this podcast. So, But they've been saying it for three years. But, okay, looking over his shoulder, they put Sam Darnold in the Alabama game in, like, the third quarter. I understand that it was over at that point, but still, <laughs> Max never got a full game to himself. Well, they had packages for Sam Darnold regardless. Who puts packages in for a different quarterback for the red zone? That's, that's looking over your shoulder. A guy that has legs. Yeah, that they wanted to use in the first place. That's my point. He was always looking over his shoulder. I don't agree with that assessment. Okay. I, I mean, mean, he should have been looking over his shoulder because Sam took his spot and then went But what I'm saying success. is if you are giving him a leash, that means you let him play in the red zone. I think you have packages. Why would they put a Dory Jackson in? Because he's dynamic. Yeah. Why would they put a Dory in? Why wouldn't they give these wide receivers a longer leash? Because he's a dynamic athlete. You're if you not, have playmakers, you try to put them in. You can't them in argue spots. that the difference between a wide receiver and a quarterback is the I same. I can argue anything I want. I know you can. My point is that's the only other play that they've, player they've used for certain packages. We don't have to argue about Max and Sam right now. I'm just saying maybe take it with a grain of salt with what Wait, they're saying. Wait, did you feel that way about JT when they used Matt Fink in those read option packages last year? When did they use Fink? They did. When? For the sake of the listeners, we're moving on past this, even though you and I are arguing about this. Uh, we got a tweet from my homeboy Samuel, who is part of the nation. Uh, he says, what do you make of Clancy Pendergast completely discounting all the yards given up on the edge and Clay acting like the defense's issues were caused by the QB scrambling on missed sack opportunities? There were a ton of yards given up on design read options, fly sweeps, and screens to the perimeter. Yeah, I agree with that. There were yards given up on those read options and the fly sweeps. Again, I think that, that the biggest issue is, you know, lack of discipline, you know, of the defensive guys and doing their job. I didn't actually listen to – I mean, I didn't get to be in Clancy's uh, scrum this week to act like, you know, it was all caused by the QB, but that was, a, that was a large chunk of it. There were some big yards there. But even that, they've got to do a better job. You know, sometimes you got to have a spy, you know, for a, for a quarterback that's mobile and is giving you some trouble. You know, there's different things they could have done to act like it wasn't a big deal is, is kind of disconcerting there when you're looking at that defense because if they clean up the responsibility stuff, you know, just taking taking care of your responsibility, that, that takes out a lot of that stuff. And missed tackles were also part of it. The scrambling is something that's not in that at all. So maybe that's what they're saying. Brandon Peely actually told me that, yeah, we kind of expected the read option, but it's different when you're going against it in practice and it's a walk-on versus a guy actually running in a game. And that goes back to USC. How hard are you practicing? You know, how much are you hitting? You know, are, are you able to tackle a quarter, quote unquote quarterback, whether it's a walk-on or it's a running back or somebody else so that you can get those sacks in the first game of the season? Or does everybody have yellow jerseys and everyone's clear? Like, looks. I know you only have a certain amount of quarterbacks right now because Jack Sears left, and now you, Brandon Pardue is the third string quarterback, and he's a you know was a safety last week. But why couldn't he be the quote unquote quarterback during some scout team work so that someone that that the defensive ends are able to go against a, a, a true offensive line and tackle somebody? Well, that's what I asked Clancy Pendergast. I was like, do you feel like you have a real opportunity to practice? getting the quarterback down because you're not doing that necessarily in practice 
And he kind of gave me like a vague answer of like, oh, kind of you get it with games and you get that experience and we're doing tackling circuits. So you get the idea. So, but you don't really have experience if you're not doing it. And one of the most interesting things was uh, Chad Kay, the defensive line coach saying, you know, I've been a couple places where they do let us hit the quarterback. And he's like, I really like that. Yeah, he didn't say that. He didn't say he liked it. I think he did. I think you, well, if he didn't say it, you can read it on his face. Well, and then Dan asked, that's not going to happen here, is it? And he was like, no. <laughs> so, yeah. The combination of answers there made me believe, okay, I'll say that, made me believe that he really wishes that he could do that because that's what any D-line wants. They want that actual gratification to know you got him down on the field, on the ground, rather than, hey, we touched him on the hip. Samuel also says, do you think they're actually addressing those issues on their edges or just ignoring them? Future teams are going to kill them on the edge if they don't address it, much like how Utah did last year. Uh, they better. If they don't, they're going to get wiped off the field at Stanford, and then they're going to get wiped off the field in a couple weeks against Utah, and then the next week against Notre Dame, and then the next week against Washington, or Washington and Notre Dame flip. But, yeah. Those, those teams all can run the ball well. You know, Notre Dame has a mobile quarterback. So does uh, Utah. All those guys are athletic guys that can run a read option if you don't show you can stop it. And you don't show you – even if it doesn't have to be a quarterback read option, the jet sweeps and different things, yes, they have to clean that up and it has to be cleaned up immediately. There's going to be a long season for USC. Without a doubt. Mike Fisher sent us a tweet that said, Do you expect to see Marquis Step play more this week? Would have been nice to have him fresh and ready for that fourth and one. Thanks for the rational analysis and keeping some of us from putting our head in the oven. Fight on and beat the farm. Now, Mike, would, do you really want a guy who hasn't played a snap in nine months to come in on fourth and one? That's a hard sell for me. I, I don't think I want a guy that's like, Okay, uh, Marquis Step, and he's probably like – He's probably down because he hadn't played all game. Maybe he's not by the coach. I'm not saying this about Steph, but anyone who hasn't been in, I don't think you want to put a guy in in that situation. Do I expect to see him play more this week? Yes. He didn't play it all last week, so yes, I think he will play. He did play a couple snaps on special teams. Part of the reason why I mentioned the voicemail line at the top of the show was because we got a voicemail. Let's go to it. Hey, Parastyle. Uh, this is uh, Anthony in L.A., um, first-time caller, long-time listener. Uh, just a quick comment and a question. Um, I thought Elijah Vera Tucker looked great against Fresno State. Uh, I think there's a high ceiling for him. And I just want to see uh, your guys' take on his development and uh, the rest of the O-line. All right, you guys have a good one. Great show, and fight on. Thanks, Anthony, for the call. We always love first-time callers, but I'm sorry you got relegated to the B team over here. Well, who was the B team here? The, be, the best team. Oh, best team. I yeah, got you. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. Yes, but thank you for the call and the voicemail. Yeah, I, I think Elijah Vera Tucker was probably the best offensive lineman. Didn't get to see the PFF grades. Unfortunately, we don't have access to that this year. Womp womp. If anybody wants to donate some money to help us out there, that'd be great. But, no, uh, we didn't get the chance to see the grades necessarily, but just the eye test, I thought he was fantastic. He helped on a couple of the touchdown runs. He had a big block on Stephen Carr's second uh, on his touchdown run instead of his touchdown catch. You know, he got out in front. He was able to get to the second level multiple times. You know, I thought him and Austin Jackson on the left side – can be a dynamic duo. They still got some work to do, obviously, and, but you know those two guys can you can run behind them over and over and over in some games. This might you know if they if they get locked in, it could look like the the UCLA game when Zach Banner was yelling to to Clay Helton, run it to my side, run it to my side, and they did like eight times in a row, and you just saw Takaris McKinley just deflated, defeated. He just didn't want to go up against anybody anymore because USC ran the ball over and over in the fourth quarter of that game. Uh, I think that those two guys can be a dynamic duo 
eventually this season. We'll see when they play a, a, a stingy defensive line from Stanford, but I think that the, the sky is the limit for those two. Terry sent us a tweet that said, why is it that Clay Helton is unable to make any halftime adjustments on either side of the ball? I completely disagree with that question as well. Like I've talked about, you know, USC made adjustments to how Fresno State softened their zone. Now, the bigger question is why don't they do better on the edge rushes like we've talked about a few times so far today that they have to do a better job on. Blaze sent us a tweet that says, how does SC match up against Stanford's offensive and defensive lines? Are we going to get dominated and pushed around by the huge monsters at Stanford? The small guys are usually 6'5 and 330. So this is a concern because, you know, when Chad K came in, he wanted his defensive tackles to slim down a little bit. So Jay Tefele, Marlon Tuipelotu, Brandon Peely, all those guys have lost a little bit of weight, but they're quicker now. So can USC attack the gaps? That's going to be a question for the, for the defensive lineman. That's what they're going to need to do to be disruptive in the backfield. Instead of just holding their ground, they need to, you know, be able to spring through and, and make some plays in the backfield. You know, the, the thing about Stanford's offense, defense lines are usually monsters. There's a lot of question marks on both sides right now. I think the offensive line, you don't have Walker Little, the All-American candidate, left tackle, a potential first-round pick over there. You know, I think that not having him is a huge loss. Bigger than losing K.J. Costello is losing Walker Little, especially because he has a true freshman coming in behind him, a three-star rated guy coming in behind him. And, and you know, he's going to be thrown in the fire against Drake Jackson and Christian Rector. They're going to probably give him some help with some tight ends and stuff. But that offensive line is just isn't quite the same as it's been in the past. And Walker Little, Little is the anchor on that line. The other guys, some question marks there. And their depth just isn't great with some of the other positions as well in the offensive line. On the defensive line, I just don't know that they have – you know, that trench tank that they've had in the past with Solomon Thomas and Harrison Phillips and a couple other guys that have just been so disruptive and forced that double team and give other guys opportunities when they're not making plays. So I don't think it's quite the same offensive defense line you see from Stanford. I expect them to still be physical. Uh, and USC will have to show that they can play up to that and they can they can be as physical as well. But it's not quite the same as you normally see. Yeah, and that kind of goes to what we talked about in Agree, Disagree. Dude, bro says the seer ship has sailed question mark i would say yes unless the injury dominoes continue to fall again i would reach out to him and see you know where you stand and if he wants to come back i would if i was a coaching staff i would i would put that out there but as of right now it doesn't look like that's happened or is going to happen in the future weeks unless something else changes hokey pokey says does mitch mustaine have any eligibility left I don't think so, considering he was at USC when I first got to Los Angeles. I don't think oh that's going to happen. That's a long time ago. Ten years ago. Chris sent us a tweet saying, what was your favorite interview player or coach of the week and why? Now, this is interesting timing for this question because this week was just a little bit off as far as interviews go because when it's more newsy, the kind of goal after practice is to get the main players and get their opinions on things because that's what we need to hear. So it's not necessarily like, oh, I really want to talk to this person. I did, though, get to talk to Drew Richmond for the first time. That's someone that we wanted to talk to for a while. I didn't expect it, which I totally should have, the Southern twang. Uh, he just The word he kept saying was grateful. He's super grateful to be at USC. He loves getting this experience to play. It's a nice attitude to have from, from that guy. Yeah, I like to talk to the guys that usually no one else is talking to. You know, Something changed as far as they're playing more on special teams. I like to grab the, the random interviews a little bit more and, and tell stories. And I got JT Daniels and Keaton Slovis on, <laughs> on Tuesday. Uh, but I thought, I listened to JT. He actually projected more when he's sitting in the chair than he does normally, you know, after practice. Shocking. 
you know, he was, he was a little bit louder. So it, it was good talking to him, though. You know, he said that he's never really even had an injury before. You know, the concussion last year that, that forced him out of that Arizona State game, that's the only game he said he's ever had to sit out. So, you know, he's, he's looking forward to kind of a grueling process of this rehab. He's never really done it before, but he's going to try to attack it every day. And just him deciding to stick around and talk to us, I really appreciate it because you, you want to talk to a guy that's a starting quarterback and, lo- you know, loses his job, even if it's because of injury. Uh, and, and not everybody wants to do that. And we always appreciate the guys that, that go out of their way to do something that, that may not be the easiest thing. Who really wants to talk about being hurt? But he, he did it. He, he stuck around and answered some questions. Didn't have to answer too many, but, you know, got it out there. And what, his advice that he had for Keaton, you know, and that he has confidence in Keaton going forward. He thinks that the fact that he listens to coaching so well and he's, he's intent on getting better. That's what he, JT Daniels said about Keaton Slovis. And he thinks because of those things – He's going to have a great opportunity to be successful this season, and he's going to be rooting him on. He's going to be coaching him up as much as he can. And someone in my mentions was like, oh, I didn't see JT helping out Keaton Slowis, which was far from the truth. Multiple players were talking about how JT Daniels had a, was in good spirits on the sideline, which is a hard thing to do when your season is essentially over. Not that he knew that at that point, but you had a feeling, and he's coaching up the young guy who's taking his spot. So props to JT on, on that front too. And he said he's – People, someone asked him in the interview we had, why were you upbeat afterward? You know, you just, your season's possibly over. You don't know for sure, but you, you think you've suffered a major injury. Why would you be? He said, we still had a game to win. He said, I could come back out in the second half and I could be down and upset. You know, everyone's not worrying about his knee a lot more. Instead of that, they're focusing on the game. So he wanted guys to focus on the game. He said, I'm coming out. I'm still going to try to have fun. And that's what he said about this season. He said, it sucks that it's over, basically, but he's excited to be a Trojan. He's excited to be able to to help coach up Keaton Slovis and just excited to be at USC. And I don't know how you could have a better attitude than that. Without a doubt. Let's go to our final question of the pod, and that goes to Mark, who sent us a tweet saying, are the Trojans going to win Saturday, or will I regret flying from San Francisco? Which is a perfect segue into our game predictions. Shotgun, what do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Well, Mark, I'm going to say it depends on what food you have, whether you regret coming from San Francisco. You know, if you get some Park's Finest, you know, some 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 great food out there, some plan check burger, whatever it is that you love to get when you come to L.A. If you get that, then you won't regret it completely. Especially but if you line up the Family Feud podcast for your flight over. It's perfect. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think the Trojans are going to win on Saturday. So you might be upset about that, but... You can, uh, you know, if your flight's back on Sunday, make sure that you scheduled it so you still see tunnel vision on Sunday night. Perfect. Or get that that free Wi-Fi on the plane. Actually, no. Planes are kind of stingy and they don't give you free Wi-Fi. But it's worth the investment. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I got got the Trojans losing by one point. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's 21-20, 28-27, somewhere in there. But I think they'll they'll fall. I'm going to give the edge to Davis Mill being uh, a a third-year guy, I think, uh, at Stanford versus Keaton Slovis being a first-year guy. This is where delusional Keeley comes to play. I just don't I don't see them losing this. Is that game. because of what time it is as we're recording this? <laughs> it's almost one AM and we've been talking for hours. So maybe I said it earlier, I think USC's gonna win maybe twenty one to seventeen. It's gonna be a tight game. I think Stanford might make an error that puts USC on top. Not sure. I don't know if I'm gonna regret this and being like, Yep, I was delusional. So we'll see. Stay tuned for that. But <laughs> I think USC's coming out here with a win. We'll see. To be fair, I do, in my predictions, have them losing to Utah, UW, and Notre Dame. So, in my mind, it balances itself out. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be a tough task just because you have, you know, both teams have backup quarterback. It's going to come down, I think, I think the biggest key is going to be 
the defensive lines versus the offensive lines in this. Can USC's you know pretty talented group and a group that can rotate? Can they be get in the backfield and phase Davis Mills, or is he going to have time to throw? Whichever team protects their quarterback a little bit better, I think is going to be the difference maker. And that's why they call it the backup bowl. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Even though one is now a starter, for real. Not until this week, though. True. Both of them aren't starting their first game until this week. True. All righty, but that's going to wrap it up for today's podcast. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. Thank you so much to everyone who sent us questions. We appreciate you guys for sending those in and just for listening. Uh, but thanks as always. We'll see you next week. Peace.